This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join the other brethren in welcoming everybody here this morning. I appreciate the prayers on my behalf and appreciate uh, all the energy that you've put in to worshiping God so far. The singing has been great. And I pray you'll keep that energy and, and encouragement up as we continue to study God's Word together. It's my prayer that the things we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word, and also it'll be useful to you and beneficial as we all continue our Christian walk together. For a little while this morning, I want to talk about uh, King Solomon's glory. And what really got me thinking about this is, you know, we, we live in a, a very abundant society. We live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, which comes along with great blessings. Uh, it also comes along with unique challenges uh, that people in, in, say, third world countries, they don't necessarily have to face that much. We live in a society that really encourages growth. It encourages success. It encourages worldly gain. Uh, it encourages you to want to look good in front of your peers to make sure you're keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. We have people spending thousands and thousands of dollars to gain a worldly education that then they'll spend the rest of their lives to pay off debt with student loans. It's implied that you must make sacrifices in your personal life to improve your status in this world. We're taught to work extra hours so we can, work, we can show a strong work ethic and make sure that we're keeping up with the fellow employees around us, even when it's not actually required of your job. We're, we're taught to do that. We're taught really to do whatever it takes in order to gain the worldly riches and possessions in your life. <clears throat> and for a little while this morning, I want to study about King Solomon who was the wealthiest and the wisest man that's ever lived, and we can see what he can teach us about this life and really what we should put our focus on. So to begin, I want to look at a little bit of the background of King Solomon, where he came from, uh, what he was known for, and really what he did. And we're going to start out with 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verse 24 and 25, and it says, And David comforted Bathsheba his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. So here we have where Solomon was born. So Solomon's parents was David, of course, the second king of Israel. Solomon would then become the third king of Israel. His mother was Bathsheba. If you remember another story we have with David and Bathsheba, that's when David committed adultery against Uriah the Hittite, and, and that David went into Bathsheba. Uh, and then they did have a son. Well, that son died later on uh, because of that adultery. And then this is the next son that, that Bathsheba had, which was Solomon. So Solomon would then become the third king of Israel. I thought it was interesting that uh, Nathan called Solomon by the name of Jedidiah. <clears throat> when you look up what Jedidiah actually means, that name, it means beloved of the Lord. So Solomon was called Solomon, which was his name, and he was also called Jedidiah from Nathan the prophet. Now, now, David was, of course, very well favored from God, and he was a great king. He did a lot of things really well for the kingdom of Israel and, and really grew it and kept them focused on serving God, and, and God really liked that. So then when Solomon became king, Solomon went to, or, or God went to Solomon a dream and let Solomon ask anything he wanted to from God. And let's read that in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read 5 through 14. <clears throat> So 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning of verse 5, it says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. 
And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who, is a, for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, and that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall, there, shall arise any like unto thee. And I also have given thou which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto all, thee, all thy days. <clears throat> and if thou wilt walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days." So this is where this was a dream that, that Solomon had, that God came to him in a dream, and he was able to ask God anything he wanted. It, it's really remarkable what Solomon actually asked for. He asked for wisdom. He asked for an understanding heart so he, that he could take care of God's chosen people. He could have asked for anything. And this is what God was very pleased with what he asked. So God granted him that wisdom. He granted him that understanding heart. And then he also gave him a bunch of stuff that he didn't even ask for. He granted him uh, wealth. He granted him wisdom. He granted him possessions. He granted all these things. And then he said, too, if, if you'll walk after my ways, if you'll follow my commandments, I'll also grant you a long life. And that's exactly what God did, is he gave him all these different things. And specifically, he, he gave him a lot of wisdom. And now the people, they desired to learn from Solomon some of this wisdom. They could tell immediately that Solomon was, was a very, very wise man because this was a gift given to him from God. And the, and the people wanted this wisdom. They would come to him from all over the different regions of the place, and they would bring him gifts, and they'd bring him these different things so that Solomon would expound some of his wisdom upon them. Now, it also said that God granted him a lot of wealth, and let's look at that. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. So 666 talents of gold in one year. Beside that, he had of the merchantmen, and of the traffic of the spice merchants, and of all the kings of Arabia, and of the governors of the country. So this was just the gold that Solomon received in one year, 666 talents. Now, here in America, we don't weigh things by talents anymore. We don't really know what that means. So when you look up a conversion, you can see how much that would equate to U.S. dollars today. It's roughly a billion dollars. It's 666 talents of gold. I want you to think about that for a second. A billion dollars of gold, not including the stuff he got from the merchantmen and the traffic of the spice merchants, a billion dollars of gold is what Solomon would get in one year. That's a lot of money, folks. A billion dollars of gold. So he was very, very wealthy. It also says that he had a great amount of possessions. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 16 through 22, it says, And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold, 600 shekels of gold went into one target, and he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went into one shield. 
And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. The throne had six steps, and on the top of the throne was round behind, and there were stays on the either side of the place of the seats, and two lions stood beside the stays. <clears throat> and twelve lions stood there on the one side and on the other upon the six steps. And there was not like made into any kingdom. And the king Solomon's drinking vessels were all gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were silver. It was nothing accounted for in the days of Solomon. For the king had a sea of navy, a sea, a navy of Tarshish, with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. So this goes on to further show all the possessions that the king had. One thing I found was interesting was that all the drinking vessels, all the cups that were used in King Solomon's house, they were all pure gold. Not a single one of them were silver. And it says there in verse 21 that silver was counted for nothing at that time. If it's not gold, it's worthless. Now you and I would look at silver today and it's worth a lot. It wasn't worth anything to Solomon because he had all these great possessions all, and all was gold. So this guy was incredibly wealthy. He had anything that he could possibly want. And he had this great wisdom that people wanted, so they would come and continually give him more gifts, more possessions, more wealth, so that he would expound upon him this wisdom that he had. If you look, uh, go and continue on in verse 23 through 29, it says, So King Solomon exceeded all the earth for witches, riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God has put in his heart. And they brought every man his present, vessels of silver, silver, vessels of gold, and garments, and armor, and spices, horses, and mules, a rate year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots, twelve thousand horsemen, whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. And cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale, for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt, and linen yarn. The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for six hundred shekels of silver, and a horse for a hundred and fifty. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria, did they bring them out by their means. So this, again, just shows all the wealth and all the abundance that Solomon had and that people would continually bring him more and more and more and more because they wanted a piece of his wealth, or they wanted a piece of his wisdom. They wanted to be able to learn from him. Now, this is a lot of stuff that he had. He had gold. He had riches. It talks about he had these, the cedar trees. He had all these different things. But I wanted to look at how does that really compare to what we would look at as wealth today. So I looked up a chart of the wealthiest people in the world as of today and who is the wealthiest people in the world and what kind of wealth do they have. So when you total up all of Solomon's assets and you look and compare that to all the wealthiest people in the world today, it's just night and day different. All of Solomon's assets, it's estimated to be worth approximately $1.1 to $1.3 trillion. Trillion. Not millions, not billions, but trillions. 1.1 to 1.3 trillion. So how does that compare to the wealthiest men of today? <clears throat> well, here's a list 
of what I found of the wealthiest men as of today, what, right now, you have number one is a man by the name of Elon Musk. If you're not familiar with Elon Musk, he's the founder of a company called Tesla that makes electric cars. He's also a founder of a company called SpaceX, which they make satellites and send them up into space. And he has many, many other things that he's a part of. He was the founder of a company called PayPal, which a lot of people still use today. And he's sold that and then he's built up this massive wealth. His total net worth is $243 billion. That's a lot of money, $243 billion. You compare that to Solomon though, at 1.1 to 1.3 million or a trillion, then that means Solomon is approximately five times more wealthy than Elon Musk. So you take five times the amount of wealth that the wealthiest person in the world has today, and you can attribute that to King Solomon. This guy had it all. You can also see on the lift Jeff Bezos. So Jeff Bezos, of course, he was the founder of Amazon and, and still runs the company, has a lot of wealth there. We've all heard of Bill Gates. He's number four at $129 billion. Not anywhere close to King Solomon. You look down there at number eight, you've got a man by the name of Warren Buffett. You've all heard of Warren Buffett. He's incredibly wealthy, owns a lot of businesses, owns a lot of stocks. He's at $111 billion. You would need 10 Warren Buffetts in order to get to the wealth of Solomon. So you can see there, it's just, it, it's incomprehensible the amount of wealth and the amount of possessions that King Solomon had. E even to this day, when arguably we're the wealthiest country in, in the world, we don't come anywhere close to what King Solomon had. So extremely, extremely wealthy. Now also, Solomon had power to do really anything he wanted. He had this great wisdom. He had this great wealth. And don't forget, he was the king of Israel. The king implies that he had a lot of power in and of itself. Solomon could have anything he wanted whenever he wanted. And we can see that in Ecclesiastes chapter, four, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. It says, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made gardens and orchards. I planted trees of them and all kinds of fruits. I made pools of water to water therewith the wood that brings forth trees. I got me servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. I house also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of the kings of, and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the portion of all my labor. Solomon is telling us here, he had it all. And anything he wanted, if his eyes fit, uh, found something that he wanted, he just got it. And that, he just, anything that he want, would want, he got it. So Solomon, I think we could all agree, wealthiest man that's ever lived. Had great power, had great riches, had great authority, and he had great wisdom that was wisdom given to him from God. So he was someone that now we would look at today as someone we, that people would strive to follow after. We look at it, we go to school so that we can obtain, obtain more wealth. We work hard at our job trying to get promotions so we can obtain more things. And that's what Solomon was saying. He had it all. Solomon was also the author of the book of Proverbs. So when you read through Proverbs, you're reading some of Solomon's wisdom. He wrote Ecclesiastes. When you're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, you're reading from Solomon's wisdom. And he wrote the book of Song of Solomon. 
So he wrote all these books and he delivered this wisdom that we have. And that's what we're going to learn from today. So when we look at all these things, we can see that he was the son of David. He was the third king of Israel, wisest man that ever lived, the richest man that's ever lived. He was the author of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So when we think about the mindset that Solomon was in, that he could have anything he ever wanted. He had all the riches in the world. He had all the wisdom in the world. I think it would be wise for us to look at him and see, well, what can we learn about his life? And what did he really teach us? After obtaining and acquiring all this wealth and riches, what can we really learn from that? So we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. This is Solomon writing here. Solomon says, I've done it all. I've achieved it all. I could have anything I wanted, and it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Now, those are two things that we don't say very often. So when we look up the word vanity, what that really means is it just means emptiness. It means it doesn't profit, and it means it will not satisfy. Vanity in and of itself is not a bad word. It just means it will not profit you, and it will not satisfy you. And then he also said it's a vexation of spirit. When you look up the, the words vexation of spirit, what it means is like you're grasping for the wind. Have you ever tried to catch wind? Good luck. You're not going to catch it, right? And that's what Solomon is saying. It's vanity. It's not going to profit you, and it's not going to satisfy you. And it's like you're always trying to catch the wind. Like You're not going to be able to catch it. You try and try and try, and you're never going to get there. So what, what Solomon's really teaching us in this verse is that all these things... They're not going to profit you. They're not going to satisfy you. You can work as hard as you want. You can gain as much wealth and wisdom and riches and possessions. You can gain all these things you want, and it will not satisfy you. And it's never going to be enough. You're going to constantly try to grab for more and grab for more and grab for more, and you're never going to feel satisfied with it. And that's what he's really teaching us. So there's four things that Solomon talked about through the book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to look at that Solomon himself described as vanity and vexation of spirit. And the first one we're going to look at is worldly labor. So the labors that you have to do in this world. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18 through 23, it says, Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that should be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun? This is also vanity. Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that has not labored therein, shall he leave it for his portion? This is also vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest at night. This is also vanity. What Solomon is saying here is that you can work as hard as you want to work, and you can put as much labor as you can, and someday you're going to pass all that on to somebody else. I want you to think about it from an employment stance in a, in a sense. You're working for your employer. You're giving it everything you've got. One day you're not going to be there, whether you go to a different job or whether you live at that job till you retire, or maybe you pass away, but at some point, all your labor is going to go to somebody else. And then what really good was that for your life? 
when that's really what you focus on all the time. You look there in verse 23, it says, For all of his days are sorrows, and his travail grief, yet his heart, his heart taketh not rest in the night. So this is talking about the person who they're so consumed with their job that they're forgetting the really important things in life. And they're really giving it everything that they've got. They're not even taking rest at night. They're neglecting time with their family because they're working. They're neglecting their spiritual life because they're working. And what Solomon is telling us here is it's vanity. It's not going to profit you, and it will not satisfy you. The second thing that he described as vanity and vexation of spirit, worldly possessions. Remember who we're talking about here. This is the man that had more worldly possessions than anybody else, and he says it's vanity. Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 11, it says, I made me great works. I built houses. I plant vineyards. I made gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them, all kinds of fruits. I made pools of water therewith the wood to, to bringeth forth fruits or bring forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and servants born in my house. Also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure of, of kings of the provinces. I got men singers, women singers, delights of the sons of men, of musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than uh, and increased more than all that were, went before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Now, this is what we just read, and we talked about all the possessions he had. Now, let's finish up what Solomon said, in verse ten. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept it not from thee. From them, I withheld not my heart from any joy. And for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion all the labor. And then verse 11. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. So even all the worldly possessions, you can gain everything in this world has to offer, still not going to satisfy you. It's still not going to give you the fulfillment if you think you're looking for it. Solomon is telling us that he had all, all of these things. And it was still vanity. Number three that Solomon said was vanity and vexation of spirit. Worldly knowledge and wisdom. The education that this world has to offer. Ecclesiastes 1, 16 and 17, it says, And I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to the great estate, and I have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. All the, the knowledge and wisdom you can obtain in this world, still not going to feel fulfilled, still not going to satisfy you. There's always something else to learn. You know, we see these people that they, they spend all this energy and all this time to get more and more and more knowledge and wisdom, and there's always something else to learn, isn't there? there? There's never ending. It's never enough. There's always going to be something that you don't know that you feel like you need to learn. And that's what Solomon's teaching us here. You can have all the wisdom in this world, and it's never going to be enough. You're just going to keep learning and keep learning. Finally, number four is worldly riches. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, it says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. So Solomon's a lot more plain on this one. It's like, if you love money, you're never going to be satisfied with money. There is never enough money to help you feel satisfied, to help you feel fulfilled. 
You know, I think we, we've all heard it. We've all heard people say it. Sometimes we've even said it ourselves. If we just had this, then our problems would be solved. And a lot of times this is either money, it's possessions, it's power, it's riches, it's something. If we just had something, then our problems are over. And the problem with, with saying something like this is that you're trying to fix an internal problem with an external solution. And it's really a hard issue. It's really saying that we need money to fix our problems. No, you don't. Like you need to fix your heart issue. Make sure you're trusting in God. You're following after what He says. It's really an internal problem that you're trying to solve with an external solution. And that's what Solomon is describing. Is he that loves money shall never be satisfied with money. It's never going to be enough. So we need to check our heart instead. So these are some of the things that Solomon wrote about. And remember, I want to point back again how wealthy he was, how much wisdom he had, how many possessions he had. And we look at that in the society today saying, like, that's success. That's the top. That's the pinnacle. That's what we're shooting for is to gain all these things. And what Solomon's telling us is you can gain all these things, and I've done it, and it still doesn't satisfy you. You will never be satisfied and fulfilled. Now, when you continue to read through Ecclesiastes, he just goes deeper and deeper and deeper to talk about vanity and vexation of spirit. And it's really interesting to me how he ends the book of Ecclesiastes. So he's saying, I've gained all these things. I've done all these things. I could have anything I wanted. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, he said, so let's sum it all up. If we know that all this is not going to fulfill us, it's not going to work, then what should we put our focus on? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he concludes it all by saying, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So Solomon's saying, you can gain all this world has to offer, and it's not going to work. Your true purpose in life is to fear God and keep His commandments. Let me ask you, have you ever talked to someone, and maybe they've made a comment or they've asked a question, said something along the lines of, I'm just trying to get God to show me where He wants me to go. I'm just trying to figure out what my purpose in, is in life. I need God to show me a sign of what He wants for me. What am I here for? What do I need to be doing? You ever heard someone make those comments? Maybe you've made those comments yourself. Well, here's the answer, and it's very simple. Solomon gives us the answer. You can do everything you want to in this world, but your true purpose, why God has you here on this life, and what He wants for you in your life, boils down to two things. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's your purpose. That's everything that you've got is to fear God and keep His commandments. And I think sometimes people don't like this simplicity. They, they want a lot more intricate answer. They want something that is just more extravagant, something that really sets them apart from the rest of the world. And I hate to break it to you, but it's not going to happen. God keeps it simple. Fear Him and keep His commandments. That's what He wants for you in your life. And that's the answer that we need to be humble enough to recognize and make sure that we apply to our lives, is our purpose in everything that we do is to fear God and keep His commandments. So I was thinking about this, and when, when you think about Solomon and all these different things that he offered, and all these different, we, we can see you can gain all these things, but you really just need to fear God and keep His commandments. But then I started thinking, it's like, well, being Christians here on earth, you still have to work, right? God calls us to work. Says he who doesn't work is worse than an infidel. You got to provide for your own house. If you don't work, you don't eat. Like God expects you to do that. We live in this world, and 
If you live in this world, you're going to have to have money to some extent. There is no fully living off the land in today's day. Like you do have to have some amount of money. You do have to have some amount of possessions to get by. So I want to look at next, what is the proper Christian view for all these things? If we know that the worldly things that we offer, those four things we looked at, if it's all just vanity and vexation of spirit, then how should we be looking at it as Christians today? So number one, we're going to look at worldly labor. If you look at Colossians 3, verse 22 through 24, it says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So what we're talking about here is you need to be working. But instead of looking at working as something you do to constantly get ahead, you're always looking for that promotion, you're trying to show a strong work ethic compared to everybody else, we need to be looking at our job and our employment as something we do to honor and fear God, because that's what he said to do. So Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, whatever you do, do it heartily like you're working for God, not like you're trying to receive the praises of men. That's, how, that's the proper Christian view. And Solomon taught us this also in Ecclesiastes, and he, he tells us to keep our labors in perspective. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6 says, Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. And I thought this was very interesting how he put it. Better is a handful. So how do you get a handful? Well, you have to work enough to, to get a handful. And a handful really here, it symbolizes the you have enough to satisfy your needs, to satisfy what? You have a handful, but you do it with quietness. Remember in the New Testament, it talks about that we should strive to live a quiet and peaceable life as Christians. So what Solomon is teaching us is work enough so that you have possessions and you have the things that you need that you can still live that quiet and peaceable life. And that's better than having both hands full or having an abundance or having more than what you really need, which prevail in vexation of spirit. So keep it in moderation. Work enough so that you have enough to get by and live quiet. And don't, don't worry about working so much that you just have an overabundance that causes travail and vexation of the spirit. The next thing we talked about was worldly possessions. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 8, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us there be with content. So what he's talking about here, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he's saying that we, just, we need to be content with the possessions that we do have. We know that every good gift comes from God, that we do have these blessings that he's given us, and we should be content with just having food and raiment. So raiment meaning like clothes or thing, things to cover yourself. So if you have enough, if you have food and raiment, you should be content with that. Now let me ask you, who here has more than just food and raiment? We all do. We all have more than what we really need to get by in this life. And how content are we? And that's what we're really talking about, is that God wants us to be content with having enough to get by and make sure that we're not so focused on. And that's what uh, Solomon also taught us that in Ecclesiastes 6, verse 9, where he says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. You know, Solomon obviously was a very wise man. 
and he wrote just some incredible things. And this verse too, it really stood out to me. Better is the sight of the eyes. What's the sight of the eyes? Well, look around. Look around what you can see right in front of you today. You can see brothers and sisters in Christ. You can see the clothes that you've got on your back. We're about to go have lunch here in a little bit. You've got enough food. You've got everything that you need right in front of you. And Solomon is saying, look around and be grateful for what you have. Count your blessings. Look at what God has already given you. And it's better for us to do that, to pay attention to what God has already blessed you with in your life instead of having the wandering eyes of desire. What's the wandering eyes of desire? That's something that you're constantly looking for things that you don't have that you wish you had. You're comparing yourself to others. Somebody else got something, you want it now. That's the wandering eyes of desire. So instead of looking at always the things that you don't have, which remember you're never going to be satisfied and fulfilled when you do that, Solomon is teaching us, look around and be grateful for what you have. And Paul wrote it in 1 Timothy to just be grateful and be content with what you have. That's the proper Christian view when we think about worldly desires and worldly possessions, is let's be grateful and let's think about what God has blessed us with. The next thing we look at is worldly knowledge and wisdom. James 1, 5 through 6, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavering, wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. We look at how much time and energy we work to gain a worldly knowledge and wisdom. How much school do you go to? How many books do you read? How many podcasts do you listen to? So you can learn something about this world. You can learn something about how to work with other people. You can gain a skill. You can gain knowledge. You can do something so you can gain of this world. And what it's talking about here in James is if any of you lack wisdom, this is talking about a spiritual and a godly kind of wisdom, not the kind of wisdom that this world has to offer. So why don't we work just as hard trying to get, if not harder, a spiritual godly wisdom that God will give you when you ask and when you look for it. That's how we need to be looking at wisdom is let's go get the spiritual wisdom that God wants for our life. If you also look in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know, a common thing that we see is the smarter, so-called smarter people get in this world with worldly knowledge the more prideful they get in that knowledge and the less they look at God directing their own ways. And that's what we have to be careful of. The more worldly knowledge you're going to get is going to drive you more away from the humility you need to follow after what God gets. And that's what we want to follow after is lean not unto your own understanding, but trust in God and follow after Him. Look for His knowledge. Look for His wisdom. And finally, we want to look at the riches, the worldly riches. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. When we talk about this in, in verse 10 there, a lot of times that verse is misquoted, and it says, For money is the root of all evil, and that's not what it says. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. We have to keep that in mind. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can have very little money and still have the love of money, and it's not going not to lead you well. 
You can have a great abundance of earthly riches and not have the love of money, and you'll be okay. But all of it is about keeping yourself in perspective and making sure that you're not chasing these earthly riches, especially to the extent that you're neglecting fearing God and keeping His commandments and doing your true purpose. And Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust us corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus taught us that instead of looking at all the stuff the world has to offer, make sure that above all you're laying up these treasures in heaven. So we can see from these four things, the, the labors, possessions, the knowledge and wisdom, and the riches, it's really easy for us to get caught up in those, especially in the society that we live in today where everything around us is in abundance. And it's just so easy to go get more and to strive for more and want to do more. It's really easy to get caught up in that. And what we have to remember is that in all these four things, the proper Christian view is to keep these in perspective that they should be there to help you accomplish your true purpose of fearing God and keeping His commandments not distracting you from doing your true purpose of fearing God and keeping the commandments. We have to live in this world, but not be of the world, as Paul taught us, that we use these things to help further our purpose and further our mission, not distract us and tear us away. So it's very easy to get caught up in things. The four things that we've looked at, these labor, possessions, knowledge, wisdom, and riches, when we looked at that, they're not evil in and of itself. They're not evil things. But the problem comes in when we sacrifice our true purpose to do these things, when we're not doing what God has called us to do so we can strive for more worldly gain. We can strive for more riches. We can strive for that next promotion at our job. We can look for that more education. When we're not doing our true purpose, when we're not following after God, that's where the problem comes in. And we have to keep these things in perspective. They're there to help us and not hinder us. It's our responsibility as Christians to be a godly steward of that. God has blessed us with great blessings, and He expects us to be a steward, to be a manager of these things in a proper view. And that's how you do it, is look at these things in order to help you accomplish your purpose, not distract from you. And the real issue all comes into, it, it's a hard issue. It's all a hard issue of where you're putting your desires, where you're putting your trust. Are you working hard to gain possessions? Are you working hard to gain riches? You're working hard so that you can be boasted of by other men, so that you can look good to your peers, to other people around you, so you can keep up with the Jones. Are you, are you working hard for all of those things? Or are you working hard to make sure you're fearing God and keeping your, His commandments and doing the things that He expects us to do? It's a heart thing. We have to remember what Solomon taught us in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, where it says, All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked and to the good, and to the clean, and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth, and to him that sacrificeth not. As is to the good, so is the sinner, and as he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. What Solomon is saying is that there's one event that's going to happen to all of us, regardless of how much possessions you have, how many riches you have, if you're serving God, if you're not serving God, there's one event that happens to all of us. And what do you think that event is? It's death. You will pass from this earth. Everything that this earth has to offer you, 
everything that you're striving for and that society teaches that you should go get more and more and more of, it's all going to go away and you're going to leave it. That one event that we all have in common is death. And after the death is the judgment. And we know that after death and we have that judgment before God, that's when God is going to judge our heart. It doesn't matter how much you had. It doesn't matter if you had a great abundance or if you had little. It doesn't matter if you had all the wisdom of the world or if you had no wisdom of the world. What God is going to judge you is, did you accomplish that true purpose? The true purpose of fearing God and doing what He wants you to do. That's what we all need to be striving for, what we're looking for. We're all going to leave this behind one day and everything it has to offer. And we have to make sure that our heart is right with God. So I want you to examine yourself this morning and every day for the rest of your life. Are you doing the things that you need to be doing to fear God and keep His commandments? It's your entire purpose. It's everything that God put you here on earth to do is to fear Him and to do what He says. Are you doing everything in your power to do that? Or are you getting distracted from all the worldly gain and all the possessions and everything this world has to offer? It's all a heart issue. So if you've been distracted this morning, you need the prayers of the church, you need help and whatever reason to get you back on track, then we can help you with that. And that's what we're here for as brothers and sisters in Christ is to keep each other accountable, to help encourage, to help uplift, to do what we can to make sure that you're living your true purpose and y'all help me and make sure I'm living my true purpose. That is what our goal is here so that we can all get to heaven together. If you haven't turned your life to follow after Christ and you've been following your own selfish desires all your life, and it's time to change that. It's time to recognize that your purpose is to fear Him and keep His commandments. And one of His commandments is to submit yourself in baptism to Him. Wash away your sins and create a new man. And make sure that you're following what God wants you to do in that. So if you need help doing that, we can help you with that this morning too. To be baptized into Christ, follow after Him, and live according to His commandments all the days of your life. And truly fulfill your purpose and why He created you and why you're here. So if you need the prayers of the church, you need help in any other way, come have a seat on this front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.